good morning one more time. Victory, those in the overflow, those in the room, make one more time. Make some noise for Jesus in the place real quick. Amen. Amen. I actually want to do this. I want to redeem the time even for the men. One more time. Can we hear all the men make some noise in the house? That's what I'm talking about. See, Davis, you just had to ask them right. You had to ask them right. But no, it's so good to see each and every one of you today, whether you're in the room, online, or in the overflow. Uh, I want to welcome you to what I believe may be one of the most or the most important times of going into the scripture that we've had in a very long time. And that's a big statement. As I was preparing for this message today and preparing to continue uh, as we navigate and open up this new series, I was thinking about something that is a life experience that I had that really brings me to light of what I'm going to talk about today. Many of you know, Kendra and I, we have a two-year-old named Maximus. And no, this message is not about how to navigate the terrific twos. While that will be another great message for another day, today I want to kind of talk about some things that I believe need to really kind of set us on the path. Now, Maximus is two years old, and he's in this very independent phase and trying to tell us and assert what he wants and what he does not want. And oftentimes, Kendra and I, we take these walks around our neighborhood, and I say walks because he's no longer using the stroller because he's saying, I can do it, Daddy. And so as we're walking around, and a lot of times when we get outside, what we'll do is he will see where we live. There's this big flower bed that he often sees, and he wants to run out into traffic and go and see it. And so when we're taking these walks, I very lovingly, even just the other day it happened, I very lovingly but firmly grabbed his hand and I stopped him and I said, Maximus, we have to look both ways before we cross the street. And right there when I said it, it was kind of weird because I had this immediate thought came into my spirit, actually two thoughts. The first one, I was like, I'm becoming my parents. (laughs) Have you ever had that thought, parents in here, you do something, he's like, I thought I would never do that. Now I sound just like them. First, I was like, I'm becoming my parents. But the second thing I thought about was that look both ways might actually be the greatest bit of advice that we could ever get. Because what I was telling him is that he needs to look both ways before he crosses over into the street. Now, from a spiritual standpoint, what I'm talking about today is the fact that as we're starting this series today, we're saying you need to take time to look both ways before we cross into eternity. We need to take an an assessment and see what is God saying to me? How do I need to navigate before I take this step over? And so here's the first thing that I want to say that's not in your notes, but I want you to write this down because it's a very simple statement, but I believe it's a key statement for all of us. Listen to this and then write it down. If you love someone, you tell them to look both ways. If you love someone, you don't just let people run out into areas that would actually take them down. And so today, as we are navigating through this new series and we're starting it, I believe that today God is lovingly and firmly holding our hands, saying, son, daughter, look both ways before you cross over. Because there's something waiting for you in eternity, and I need you to take an assessment. And so we've been through, if you've been here for a while with us at Victory, especially this year, we've been walking through Jesus' most powerful sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And today, we're turning the page, starting this series, really kind of talking about what we believe is maybe the 11 hardest verses maybe in the entire Bible. Now, let me clarify. It's not that these scriptures are hard to understand. They're hard to hear. 
And so as we listen to this, I really need you just to lean in today because God wants to speak to us. And today we're going to kick off this particular series with these two verses found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Now, because I believe in participating and I'm not going to preach by myself today, I need you to read this first scripture with me. It's on the screen right now. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. And on three, I want us to read it together. One, two, three. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Now, I don't know about you. When I first read that, that's not necessarily the most inspiring scripture that you want to start off with if you look at it from a certain point of view. But what I want to say today is that Jesus, when he says there's this broad road He's saying there's this big road to destruction, and this big road to destruction is filled with some of the narrative that we hear today, which says, you know, all roads lead to heaven, all paths lead to God. You know, you have Oprah's religion or or Tony Robbins' self-help or all truth is truth or Hinduism, uh, Islam, all these different things. Even the popular culture of becoming famous and having money seems to make us think that we're walking on the right road. But what I love is that Jesus comes back and he says, but narrow is the road that leads to life. He's saying it's a single, solitary, small door and path that actually leads to life. And what I want to say today is that he says this road that really is broad is very crowded, where most people that you encounter are actually navigating through. So much so that I would venture to say, if you're walking around and you're very comfortable and you feel like all the tulips are great and you're doing what everybody else is doing, I want to say, danger, danger, danger. You might be walking on the broad road. You might be on your way to hell having a good time. And so as we look at this today, we know very clearly this is opposite of what popular culture says. Popular culture says, you know, do what we're all doing because that is heaven. And then we say that people are very small-minded if they're in this narrow path. But this is the point that I really want to bring to bear today. This point right here that there's just this one small door that leads to life is what makes Christianity the most exclusive religion of all religions. And now some of us will be able to say that and it's like, okay, yeah, I don't really know if I like that. Because with this being the most exclusive We need to know that it's not about your race, it's not about your pedigree, it's not about how you've been raised, it's not about how much money you have that's going to actually let you get to heaven. Somebody say amen. Amen. You don't have to be perfect, you don't have to have it all together, but God is saying there's a narrow road. And God, what he's done is he has opened up this narrow gate because as we might hear that as bad news that it's the most exclusive, Christianity is also the most inclusive religion of all because all people have an opportunity to come to this narrow gate. Can I say that again? It's the most inclusive because everybody has a shot. We just have to take it. And so as we're looking at this and we hear, you know, this is a narrow gate, only one way leads to heaven, all these things, some of us would say, especially if we listen to popular culture, we'll say, man, that sounds kind of narrow-minded. You know what I would say to that? Absolutely it is. And as the body of Christ, we have to be a people who we're not ashamed of having a narrow mind when it's in the right context. 
That we're not ashamed because the challenge in culture today is that we are actually proposed and forced to actually try to believe everything, which means we will stand for absolutely nothing. But if we can have a narrow mind in the things that count, in the things that are about God's business, I believe that some people can get set free today. Somebody say amen to that if you agree with it. So here's the thing. One of the challenges today is, again, that we're really trying, uh, influenced to actually accept all these things. But I want to read to you what God's intention for his people is, even when he talks about this positive view of being narrow-minded, of being very succinct in what he's thinking. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. This particular scripture right here is probably one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, and I'll tell you why, because it offers us something and it gives us very clear instructions. Verse 19 says this, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now do what? Come on, say it again. Do what? Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. Now, one of the reasons why I say this is one of my favorite scriptures, because it's as if God has given us an open book test. He's saying, I've given you the opportunity to have life or death, blessings or curses, but all you have to do is follow my statutes. He's saying, I'm giving you a choice. There's a lot of choices, but you need to make the right choice. And so how many of you know in this room that life is full of a lot of choices we can make? And if we're honest, a lot of times we make the wrong ones. And that's why I believe God is so intentional to saying, hey, it's one or the other. I want to give you an opportunity to grab it. Now, today, we're going to be talking about the biggest choice that you could ever make, saying that before we cross over to the other side, we are pausing to look both ways. Do this with me. Look to your left. Some of you are looking at me trying to look to your left. I need you to look, look to your left. Now, look to your right. When you do that, you are canvassing your surroundings to see what opportunities are around you. And so when we look to our left and look to our right, today we're actually going to be looking towards what does hell look like and is hell real. And next week we're going to be looking towards what does heaven look like and is heaven real. And so if you're new here and you say, I didn't come to hear about hell, well, it's too late. (laughs) We're going to be talking about it today. But I believe that God wants to say something very intentional and special to all of us. And so here's the thing, before I jump into the meat of this, I implore you, I need all of us today to hear me very intentionally as your pastor today, not just as a preacher. What's the difference? A pastor is a shepherd. A shepherd cares about the flock, does not want to see anyone perish. A shepherd will do things sometimes that seem uncomfortable and talk about things and put you in environments that seem uncomfortable for your good while a preacher is just concerned with them feeling good themselves because of your response. And so I want to let you know right now, it might not be a whole bunch of shouting, but I believe there will be a whole bunch of correcting in our spirits today. Amen? Amen. So let's jump into this. The reality that we found is that recent, recent researchers have actually found that most people in America and even society believe in some form of the afterlife. We have these charts that I want to put on the screen. As a matter of fact, This first one right here, what it says, it talks about America's belief in spiritual entities. So this is showing that more times than not, people believe in an afterlife. They believe in God, angels, heaven, hell, and even the devil. 
Now, some of these may have a, a smaller variance, but they say they believe in God. Now, this next graph I want to show you really talks about how it has changed over the years. If you see this one, you see that back in 2001, there were a whole lot more people believing in the things of heaven, hell, and the devil than even we believe today. What I believe that is from is because we have now bought into self-actualization in the world today. I believe some of this is from the fact that we think that we can control our own destiny. And so as we're looking at this today, I really want to make sure that we spend some time digging into this. Because if we're honest, and I believe I'm in an honest church today, if we're honest, we don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. You know, we don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about what's going to happen when I die. Am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to go to hell? Why? Because unintentionally and subconsciously sometimes we kind of walk in this form of personal invincibility where we think that we can just do what we need to do right here and nothing is going to happen as a result. But I want to read this quote from Frederick Buchner. He says this, intellectually, we know that we will die, but we do not really know it in the sense that the knowledge becomes a part of us. We do not really know it in the sense of living as though it were true. On the contrary, we tend to live as though our lives would go on forever. What this simply says in a summarized version of that is that we don't live our lives governed by this reality that we say we believe or not believe. But how many of you know this? While there are a lot of people who say they don't believe in this or that, just because you don't believe in something does not mean you're not subject to it. Let me say that again. Just because you say, oh, no, I opt out of that does not mean that it opts out of you. And so as we look at this, we really need to be sober because can I let you in on a sober reality for a moment? On this side of the room, can I let you in on a sober reality? There's going to come a day that one day you're going to be the guest of honor at your own funeral. That's not to scare you. That's just a reality. There's going to come a day where there's going to be some people, you know, crying for a minute and then 10 minutes later eating potato salad. People climbing in the casket one moment, but then they say, this fried chicken, good. <laughs> and while that's a reality, you being the guest of honor, it's going to be final when you're sitting there. While they still have a chance to see what God is saying in their lives. And so here's what I want us to know. As we are walking through this and we're taking inventory of this, the question we need to ask, knowing that one day we'll all be the guest of honor at our own funeral, say this with me, what then? Come on, say it again. Say, what then? What then after? What happens after I die? After my time expires here on earth in the physical, what happens after that? Let me give you a few descriptions of some popular beliefs in society right now about what happens when you die. Popular culture would say, you know, that they believe that the devil and his demons are in charge of hell. This picture is painted of, of this big person with a pitchfork and a red cape. And what happens, you hear people even flippantly joke about it, where they'll say things or see jokes or talk about people and say, you know you're going to hell for that. And then the other person say, well, I see you there too. <laughs> now, that's not my narrative. I hope that's not yours. But the reality is we're kind of just flippant with that and very casual with it. The second one, I would say, is those people who are universalists. They believe that in the end, everyone goes to heaven. Listen to this. They believe that hell is pretty much empty. That only the really, really bad people go to hell. People like Hitler and that person that didn't let you in on 85 on Friday. 
But that's not the truth. Because stats will say that for every one American who says they're going to hell, 120 people say that they're going to heaven. The next group of people that I want to kind of just bring to light is naturalists. I've heard people say things, there's no point of life. I'm just a body. When I die, I'll just cease to exist and worms will eat my body. First of all, that's gross and that's a lie. Number four, here's a popular one in society today. Reincarnationists. They believe we have multiple lives, saying that I live, die, and repeat. I live, die, and repeat. Basically saying, based on how I live my life, I can come back in another form and try this again. Based on how I live my life, I could either come back in the next life as a billionaire or a cockroach. <laughs> this is what people think sometimes, but that's a lie. And these next two, they're not true. Listen to this. But these are some beliefs of some people that you're actually going to see in heaven because they've given their lives to Jesus. They believe in Jesus as their Lord, but they have some off mentality or mindset about some things that really need to be brought to bear. Number five is annihilationist. These are the people that say when, when uh, Jesus and they die, they simply cease to exist. Poof, everything is over, and I'm just going to keep it moving. That's not true. And then this next group, again, you're going to see some of these people in heaven, Catholics. They teach purgatory, where people die and suffer for a while as to finish their salvation, almost thinking that by the blood of Jesus and their suffering, that's how they get to heaven. But I want to let you know that's not true. And so with all these theories present around us, we need to ask this question, number seven, what does the Bible say? Not these YouTube enthusiasts or TikTok heretics and people who are saying all these things and, and carrying people to and fro. What Jesus says when he walked the earth, he said these words that are very powerful. He says, I tell you the truth. And I want to let you know, again, as your pastor, I love you enough to not hype you, but to tell you the truth so that you can be secured in eternity. And so as we're walking through this, I need to let you know, God wants people to hear about hell. Why? So you don't have to experience it. See, I know there's a lot of things that we can come in and preach about and jump about in church, but this is so important. And I need us to think about this because if you would be honest, all of us have something on the inside of us that we feel that hints us and nudges us and says, there has to be more to life than just this life that I'm living right now. Something has to happen after I expire here on earth. You know why? Because God put it there. You're not weird because you think that. You're not weird because you feel that. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says this, he has planted eternity in the human heart. He's done this because he's saying to us, when you close your eyes here on earth, that's just part one of the story, baby. You're going to continue to live in your spirit forever and ever and ever in eternity, but we get to choose how we live that. And so Jesus, he's so loving. And some people would say, well, Jesus is so loving, he would never really believe or talk about hell. I beg to differ. Jesus talks about hell about 13% of the time in the scriptures. About half his parables talk about warning people about judgment, about hell, about condemnation, so that... We are sober about how we are approaching life. Amen? Amen? And so 
again, the reason he's doing this is because he wants us to consider what we're walking in, and that's love. Let's take a look at one of the things Jesus says about hell. And I want you just to follow me for a moment because he gives us this breakdown in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 26, about an account of hell. Verse 19 says this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in, listen to this word, torment, torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. With Lazarus, he received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Hmm. A long way of a scripture to say, once you die, it's too late. A long way to say, that I need to let you know what happens after this life where you've either had a really good time doing things your way or you followed me having a good time doing it my way. And I want to clarify this, and I need to clarify this because I believe that in church, sometimes when we don't say certain things, people fill in the gaps with their own narrative and create whole religions and denominations about it. So what is being said right here, when Jesus is talking about this rich man, he's not saying he went to hell and he suffered because he was rich. He's saying that he was rich on earth and he allowed his riches on earth to supersede his obedience to God. Y'all following me? Because many times what we do is we demonize money, finances, riches, and God is saying, I'm okay with you having that, but don't let it have you. And so as we navigate through this, Jesus, he's telling the story of two men who died, Lazarus and the rich man. And what happened to them before they went to the cross, he lays it out very clearly. He talks about the fact that they went to Sheol. Say Sheol. Sheol Sheol means the grave. It means the abode or the address of the dead. And I want to break this down for a moment. I need you to follow me and stay with me because this is going to be very important. Sheol was divided into two different areas. It was Hades for those who rejected God and then Abraham's bosom for those who followed God in faith. And so when we think about this, what we'll see is that the poor man, Lazarus, he dies in disgrace. But now he's blessed in God. He died not having a whole lot. He died with people looking down on him. He died just trying to get some food from the rich man's table. But now he's blessed. He's not thirsty anymore. He's not hungry anymore. He's at home. He is loved. He is full in Jesus' name. And Lazarus, what happens is he sees this rich man in Hades. And this man, if you think about it, put it in modern day terms, this rich man probably had a funeral and everybody was there. He was the life of the party and people came to pay their respects. And you probably had a preacher or somebody trying to wish him into heaven after he was already dead, saying, surely he's in a better place. 
But I got news for you. If he never received God, and the Bible records that, if he never actually sacrificed and gave himself to Jesus, he wasn't in a better place. He was in hell. He was burning. He was in torment. And so I want us to be sober about how we approach this and how we hear it. Here it is. It says later, Jesus, when died on the cross, we told that he went to that same place after he died on the cross. And he went into Abraham's bosom. He took those like Lazarus, Abraham, Noah, Deborah, all those people who had followed him in God. And he took them with him to paradise. But then right there in paradise is where now when we die, immediately we go there. But those who were sinful like this rich man who denied God in their faith, he was left behind in Hades. Now, can we just take a moment and make this real? When I was thinking about this, could you imagine being the dead rich man? Where you can literally see these people that are being gathered by Jesus. These people who are the authors of faith. These people that Jesus comes in and says, hey, let's go. And I could imagine that this rich man was used to being able to pay to get into certain rooms. I could imagine that this man was used to using his influence and he found himself important so people would make provisions for him to come in. But could you imagine him being right there? And Jesus, he walks out and he leaves. And he had a tinge of hope, but right there, there's this hopelessness that says, it's too late. I didn't make the right decisions when it counted, so now it's too late. And so Jesus, what he does is he, he talks about this place. He describes hell with this name Gehenna. Say Gehenna. Yeah. This was the valley outside of Jerusalem where babies were murdered and being sacrificed to this demon called Malik. And right here, it was happening so much that people were disgusted, that they got so fed up with it that they said, we're going to make this into a landfill. We're going to burn it, and it's going to be a trash dump. And what the Bible records is that this place was smelly. It was like trashy. And what you saw there were worms always eating the remains. It was terrible, y'all. But this is what hell is like. And so Jesus, very soberly, he's trying to give us a picture so we don't just swerve over this and live this life not understanding what eternal consequences are. Mark 9, verse 48 says this. It says, hell, where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Hmm. I'm pausing for a moment because I need us to just grab this. Because what Jesus is doing, he's saying, I am trying. Hear me. He said, I'm trying to give you the best explanation I can give you about hell because I don't want you to go there. This is not some fairy tale thing that he's just building time or, or marking time. And so some of the descriptions of hell that I want to give you, I'm just going to run through these. I want you to go back and look at this and look at the scriptures on your own time, but I'm going to run through them, and, and the title of them are in your notes. Listen to this. The first description of hell, it says it's like eternal torment, meaning the fire never goes out. It's always hot. Now, some of us had a hard problem in July in Atlanta. I believe you had a hard time in July in Atlanta. I said, Atlanta, you're going to have a hard time if you choose to go to hell. The scriptures of hell, total darkness, Matthew 22, 13. The Greek word that means blackness, it says light is one of the things that keeps us mentally stable. But when you have no light, you go crazy. So you have eternal blindness in this moment of being in hell. It talks about the fact that there's no rest or sleep in Revelations 14, 11. How many of you know sleep is what keeps you mentally stable? 
So you think you're a little upset because you wake up one or two times in the middle of the night. This is eternal insomnia, and your body and your mental state starts to break down very quickly. It says you're forgotten. Isaiah 26, 14 says, no one is thinking about you. All the time we spend trying to get likes and trying to get influence, nobody's thinking about you if you're in hell. It talks about hopelessness in Isaiah 38, 18, where every person in hell, watch this, will feel like and think, hey, I've been here for 100,000 years, but I'm just getting started here because it's eternal. And then it's a never-ending separation from God found in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, where it talks about the fact that the only real goodness in this world that we even experience is because God's presence is here. But if God's presence and it's not in hell, you're going to be in torment and there is no goodness there. So here's the thing, again, I'm bringing this home right here because there are people who glorify living totally adverse to God, but when it comes to now eternity, they will say, well, why would God judge me and send me to hell? I would answer them like this, and even those online, I want to say this. I would answer them like this. So you spent your entire life telling God by your actions that you want nothing to do with him, but now when eternity is at stake, now you're saying you want to spend your, the rest of eternity with him? Houseway? <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Some will stand and accuse God and say things like, well, my God would never do that. You're right, because your, your God is made up and fake. But the God that we're talking about, Yahweh, the one who is the creator of all, he wants us to know that in order for him to be a good God, he has to be a good judge. Let me say that soberly again. In order for God to be a good God, he has to be a good judge. Can I get you to shake off some of this real quick? Come on, lean in with me. Lean in. Some of y'all looking at me like, man. <laughs> lean in. I want to make this personal. If someone murdered and raped your mama, and they went to the judge, and he did not send that person to prison, would you call that judge a good judge? Absolutely not. So when we sin, some of us are like, well, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't do anything. When we sin, that is total separation from God. Outside of Jesus, it's total separation from God. And so we have to know that when we are living in the sin nature, which we inherited because of Adam's and Eve's deeds, we need to know that we are naturally bent towards doing things that are outside of God's will. And so we have to be sober, understanding that because God is good, that's the reason why he has to be a good judge. And that's not to scare us. It's actually to lift us up. It's actually to let us know that we can choose life. Amen? Amen. And so I want to remind us that God's original desire was to walk with us, to have full fellowship with us. But because of Adam's deeds, we, we then fail. Listen to this. Many times we ask this question, okay, would God send somebody to hell? We always talk about his love, but I want to let you know another attribute of God. Write this down. God is holy. Not only is God holy, he is pure, he is perfect. But the Bible also talks about the fact that in this holiness, in this perfection, it says our God is a consuming fire. And so when we don't follow his statutes, when we don't deal with our sin nature, we are subject to what the Bible calls the wrath of God. And so I need you to hear this. 
And I, and I wrote this down very specific because I, I need us to hear this. Hell is not just made up for a place full of all the bad people. Because if we're not careful, what we will think is like, well, I'm a good person, so I'm not going to hell. It's important because you will think that because you're not doing the sins that Marilyn Manson did or Hitler did, that I'm not going to hell. But I have a very sobering statement to let you know. In hell, there are going to be some soccer moms. In hell, there are going to be some nice teachers. Your favorite teacher from elementary, she might be in hell. <laughs> I, I'm not making a lot. Hear me. There's going to be some politicians in hell. Some of you are like, I knew that. <laughs> if you're a politician in here, we hope that's not you. There's going to be some positive content creators in hell. Some social media influencers in hell. Some doctors, people that do good things, some professional athletes in hell. Even some of the ones that bend their knee, have you bent your heart? There's going to be some moms, some dads, some high school students in hell. That's why you need to send your children to YouthCon next week. We don't want them going to hell. Why? Listen, because hell is the final destination for all those who die guilty in sin. Sin cannot enter heaven. I'm soberly and slowly walking through this very purposefully because I need us to know that once you die, you get no second chance. There's no do-over. There's no start it back and repeat it again. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, it's appointed for a man to die once and then be judged. I heard a lyricist say, you only get one shot. Don't miss your chance to blow. You have to make sure you take this right one shot and do what God has called us to do because our eternal destination is sealed upon death. Amen? Here's the thing. Write this statement down. It's easy. But when I die, my body goes into the ground and it's buried, but my spirit lives on. When you die... Your body, it gets buried. As a matter of fact, it, talk, it turns into dust to dust, but your spirit lives on. And so for the believer, again, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We are in paradise then when we die. We all await the final judgment found in Revelation 20. Let me read it to us real quick. Revelation 20, verse 12, it says this through verse 15. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was open which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. According to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Say second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Here's a sober thing. One of the most terrifying events ever spoken of here and in the Bible is the second death. Why? Because this is where everyone's or someone's body has already died. And now, because you have denied Christ, you're thrown into there again. And what, right there, you're alone. You're in darkness. You're abandoned forever. And I would say, and would you agree that that's bad news? But how many of y'all are ready for some good news? 
Somebody said, finally, give me some good news. There's good news. You want to know what the good news is? No, y'all don't want to know. Do you want to know what the good news is? Can I get a second lean in, please? Come on, can I get a second lean in? People in the overflow, I need you to lean in right now. Get on the edge of your seats. Lean in. Those online, lean in. Here's the good news. Hell wasn't created for you. I'm going to try this side because y'all didn't seem too happy about that. I will be shouting. I will be celebrating. Let me say it over here. Hell was not created for you. Yes. Can I try the middle of the room? I don't talk to y'all a lot. Hell was not created for you. Come on. We ought to give God praise right there. That's a place to take a deep breath. That's a place to celebrate. That's a place to give God praise. So when we hear that, then who was it created for? In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, it says this, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels. I got good news again. Hell was actually created for the devil. Hell was not created for people at all. And so when we hear a word like this, we can choose to go to somewhere that was never created for us, or we can choose life. To me, that sounds like an easy proposition. (laughs) And so as we're looking at this, we need to grab this, understand it, because hell was made for the demons and the devils. That's why, listen, that's why it's so brutal. So for all this time that I've been talking, you're like, man, I'm depressed after this message. I don't know. Don't be depressed. Understand that that place was never meant for you. But it's meant for the devil and his demons. And listen to this. In, uh, uh, contrary to popular opinion, the devil and the demons, they're not there dug in in hell. <laughs> they're not there just having a good time. Revelations 20 and 10 says this, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Can I tell you some more good news? That there will come a day when the devil, with all his schemes, as he's been trying to connive and trick you, he's going to be thrown into the burning fire. I need to let you know that devil that's been bothering you, that devil that's been kind of putting that generational curse over your bloodline, that devil that has been making you slip up time and time after again, that you've been battling, I need to let you know that his time is numbered. I need to let you know that he will not be able to withstand his punishment. But here's the thing you also need to know. We all know some people that when they're going down, they want to take other people down with them. And so we cannot be ignorant of the schemes of the devil because he knows his time is short. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to take you with him. He's trying to say, will you believe and actually take hold of what God has already promised you or will you let me be the deceiver? Let me say this. The biggest deception that the devil has ever created in the world is tricking people that he in hell does not exist. And so what happens is that we live our lives not understanding that there's real consequences and repercussions to how we live our life. But the good news is that we don't have to go there. Somebody said, tell me more. Yes, I will. Acts 4, 12 says this. The reason why we don't have to go there is because of this scripture right here. It says there is salvation. I can stop right there and we can go home. It says there is salvation. How do we get that salvation? It says in no one else. 
It says, God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Can I get somebody to yell out real loud the name of Jesus? Jesus. Come on, can I get you to say it one more time, the name of Jesus? Jesus. Come on, can I get you to say it like your life depends on it? Say the name of Jesus. Jesus. In the overflow, can we hear you through the doors right now yelling the name of Jesus? I heard you. Can you say it one more time? Jesus. There is no other name that can save us except for the name of Jesus. There's not the power in Buddha. There's not the power in Allah. There's not the power in Oprah. There's not the power in Donald Trump. There's not the power through Joe Biden. There's no power even in you simply just going to church. But there's power in the name of Jesus. When you make him Lord and Savior of your life, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, it's Jesus that has the keys, the keys, the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Somebody ought to give God praise right now. That while we're talking about this thing called hell that we can be depressed in, I need to let you know that the good news is that hell wasn't created for you, that you don't have to go to hell, and it is all about the name of Jesus. Jesus. John 14, 6 says this. You know this scripture. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I want to let you in on a secret. What we're actually saying through this message today is that all of this is not even really about heaven or hell. It's ultimately about Jesus. It's ultimately about you answering the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with this choice that I've been given to have eternal life? Am I going to choose to go to a place that was never created for me? Or am I going to choose the inheritance of the one who died for me? Because Jesus Christ is the issue. Heaven and hell are simply implications of our choices right here on earth. And so I don't want us to overlook this. I I implore you, please, come back next week in the followings. We're going to be dealing with some real stuff that's going to be critical for our walk with God, understanding our call. But don't overlook Jesus arguing about heaven or hell. Because Jesus, the question of him, will always be knocking on our door. Even if we ignore him, he'll be knocking on our door. And so many people are turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the one who came to save you. I don't know about you, but on Wednesday, we were actually in our campus pastor meeting, and on Wednesday, we all received this alert, this alarm on our phone that we had to all turn off. I see a lot of people shaking your head. What we said in that moment is that it's no accident that while we're preparing this message on hell, that God, through his providence, would say, I'm sounding the alarm right now. I'm sounding the alarm right now to let you know that time is short. I'm sounding the alarm not to scare you into heaven or into a relationship with Jesus, but to sound the alarm that it is all about Jesus, that he is the one who was, who is, and is to come. And watch this. He loves you, and he cares for you. Here's the thing. As we close today, we have to be people who understand, as the Bible says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Somebody raise your hand right now. Come on, put your hands up. Just as you put your hand up right now, I'm letting you know that you can opt in to the one who saved. You can opt in today, not with this easy fairy tale gospel where people try to say, well, coming to Jesus is easy. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's simple to come to Jesus, but it's not easy because he's given us the open book test, but we have to say, I'm going to enter into this narrow gate. Keep that hand up. I'm gonna enter into this narrow gate, watch this, intentionally and purposefully. That I'm not gonna let the world blind me to my eternal destiny. You can put your hands down. As we close today, I wanna let you know that the only way that a perfect God can allow us into a perfect heaven is if we're perfect. And I know for some of us, you're like, I'm not perfect. But how many of you know, the only way that we can be seen as perfect by God is when we're covered in the blood of Jesus. Newsflash, when God sees you, he sees you as if he has red tint on his glasses. Because he sees you through the blood. I mean, he sees you forgiven. He sees you not condemned. He sees you as his son and his daughter. And so we have to be a people that understand that we can be restored to the kingdom through his sacrifice. Our question today is, have I repented for my sin? As a matter of fact, just close your eyes for a moment. Ask yourself the question, have I repented for my sin? Have I been just a passive bystander who because I do some good things and because I give to charities and because I go serve the homeless, I feel like I'm going to heaven, but I've never accepted Jesus? If that day came and you died, would you be going to heaven? I need you to know that today is the day of salvation. And so we're looking both ways before we cross over. And one of the ways that we're going to do that, we're going to do what the Bible says. We're going to examine ourselves. You can open your eyes. I want you to take your communion elements. You should have received them on the way in. If you didn't receive them, please raise your hand. Our ushers will get some to you. We'll come around quickly. But I want you just to think about something. We all have an opportunity to make a decision about our eternity. And the reality is... To not make a decision is making a very overt decision. To not make a decision for Christ overtly is saying that by default, I want to go to hell. I'm choosing I want to go to hell. And again, you heard me say, I'm not into scaring people into the kingdom. I'm into being real and bringing reality. And so while you have your elements, I know some of you still have your hands up. Please just stand on your feet for a moment. The Bible says in... 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says this, For wherever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Just like C.S. Lewis said, he says, One road leads home, and a thousand roads lead to the wilderness. When we take of communion, we're saying we proclaim and accept Jesus' sacrifice. And so, just like we talked about earlier, we have this opportunity to receive God. And so I want to take this first layer off. I want you to take out the bread. 
Communion, when we take it, it is for the believer and those who want to become a believer. So we're going to give you an opportunity to come into the kingdom even just a moment. But I want you to take this bread and hold it up. As we hold this up, this bread represents the broken body of Christ saying that we are whole because he allowed his body to be broken. And so what we're doing now is we're simply coming into agreement that because of Jesus' sacrifice, no matter what the ailment is, no matter what the facts might be about your sickness that you're walking through the history of your victory in, you are healed and you are whole. Let's take together with faith and believe and eat together. Hallelujah. As we open up this cup, it represents the blood of Jesus, which gives us the forgiveness of sins. And what I realize is that maybe not everyone in here, you've already made a decision to allow Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior and enter into this narrow gate. But right now, with a bold step, not putting our heads down and all that stuff, because I believe just as bold as the devil is trying to take us to hell, we need to be bold saying we're going to heaven. And so if you're in here today and you want to make a decision and say, today is my day of salvation. I want to accept Jesus. I want this eternal life to be secured in eternity forever with God. Please just throw your hand up right now so I can see you. I want to pray with you. I love it. I see your hands all over the room. I see your hands. Repeat this prayer after me all over the room. Say it with faith and say it with fervor. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And today I repent, which means I turn away from my way of doing things, from my thought patterns, and I turn towards your way of doing things. Today I accept you and your sacrifice with you being my Lord and my Savior. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you help me to live for you, God, so that I can represent you as a child of God. And from this day on, it is settled. I believe it. Amen. Let's take together and drink together. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to put a hallelujah in your mouth right now. Somebody ought to praise God right now, especially if you just gave your life to Jesus. Somebody ought to thank God right now and say, because of Jesus, I am now set free from the wages of sin. We need to just do this. As we leave today, as we get ready to leave, Pastor Davis is going to close. I want to challenge you to be those people who go out and tell other people about this Jesus that you've experienced. To tell other people, not just walk past people and allow them to go to hell, but allow them to know that there is hope for you as there's been hope for me. Somebody give God praise in here. God bless you, Victory. I love you.